Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Podcast. So good morning, Eastside. We're a mess, aren't we? Today. I was just listening to rehearsal when I came in here this morning, and I just said to Ruben, just give me the Kleenex. Give me the Kleenex I need it. Happy New Year. And for some of you, New Year. Not happy, not sad, not anything, just it's a new year. And we're going to the gym, and we're making our New Year's resolutions, and we're taking stock of where we are, and we're considering what we want to do differently this year, what are some of the things that we want to set as goals for ourselves this year, what are some of the things we want to begin anew. We think of the new year as somehow it's just a, it's a new beginning, one of the things that I like to do is, is ask at the end of every year for God to give me a one-word focus, a word that he's going to help me lean into. For the, You know what? Go ahead and sit there if you want. Yeah, just move that stuff over. Yeah, I tend to nest. Just move it. <laughs> so I tend to ask him for a one-word focus, and I ask him for one word that he's going to help me lean into through the year. Last year, that word was love, and I thought, that's a huge word. That's a big, giant word, love. And so I actually, instead of just keeping one journal like I keep through the year, I kept two, and I kept one extra journal to actually put the love impressions in so that I would be able to keep track of those things. And by the time I got to the end of the year, I just felt God is so much love, and I was changed by just what I knew to be true about him and how he loves. That's not to say that my year was perfect or always comfortable or great. It is to say that if I know nothing else, I know that God is love and I know that he loves me, that he loves me. And that helps me move through everything else. And so then this year, my word is courage. And I was like, really, God? Because you think to yourself, well, where can you go after love? I mean, love. Maybe the word's going to be heaven. Maybe it's going to be beauty. He's like, courage. And I'm like, what? He said, courage. And that this is the year that you need to be able to take that love into this year and live courageously. And so I need y'all to pray for me. Because the first thing I said to him when I heard courage was, that scares me. And his response was good. That's the first ingredient to courage. Because if you're not afraid, you don't really need courage, right? So that's my word. But we challenge ourselves. We want to become a better us in the new year, right? We, move, we want to move closer to the things that matter to us. We want to move further away from the things that bother us. We want to reach for those things that we feel are missing in our lives. And there's, there's this unspoken standard that we have in our, in our minds about how we should be living our lives and what our lives should look like. And that's, that's usually what's at the root of us making our New Year's resolutions and our decisions and our, our goal setting and all of those things. It's, it's, there's always this thing where, where this standard, this yardstick that we may or may not be aware of just kind of invades our consciousness and kind of tells us you're not measuring up here or maybe you need to go a little further here or maybe you want to do a little more of this or a little less of that. Many of us have broken our New Year's resolutions already. It's the 8th, and 
Some of us have broken them, and that's fine. What I want you to know is that it's not a problem. It's not a bad thing to make New Year's resolutions. It's not a bad thing to take stock of who you are and to look at your life and to look at where you are. But what I want to do today is I want to invite you. I want to, to have you consider something that is beyond your New Year's resolution, something that's beyond yourself as individuals and as a community at Eastside. So instead of our New Year's resolutions, I want to offer you a New Year's invitation. And our New Year's invitation is going to be found in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, as scriptures goes, this is a, a pretty well-worn piece of road, but it's a good road. It's a good piece of road in scripture because like all good roads, like all well-traveled roads, it takes you someplace valuable. And so what I want you to see is that as you consider this passage that you've read over and over, and some of you have not read it all, but many of you have read this passage over and over, I want you to consider that the last time you read it or saw it or heard it, you were different. You were a different man. You were a different woman. You were a different boy or girl. And so I want you to know that as you walk through this, there's a reason you need to be open to the Spirit because He knows you're different, but you may not know you're different. So when you listen to this passage and you consider what's going through this passage, I want you to think about it as, as if it is new because the truth is it is new. It's new because you're different than you were just a minute ago. You were different before you even walked in this door. So I want you to see it a little bit differently than we usually do. Usually we have the passage, and then I'm going to just kind of like break it down, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to learn, and then we're going to be like, yay, God, you know, it's awesome. But today, I want you to see a few more things. So I want you to consider, um, think about it, picture in your mind railroad tracks. And so you have the rails, right? And so the rails that we're looking at are going to be this passage of scripture and then a real life example that I'm going to tell you about in a little bit. And then the railroad, the rails actually sit on what are called sleepers. That's what those woods, the, 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 the pieces of wood that go across, they're called sleepers. So the sleepers that the rails are going to be sitting on are the gospel, and it's going to be Jesus Christ. So we're going to see that this is how we look at Scripture this way. It's sometimes really valuable to be able to see the passage itself, to be able to see a real-world example, and to see how that real-world example and this passage of scripture lay themselves on the gospel and on the life of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so the story, the real world example. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you have not. I was driving down the freeway one day, and as I was coming off of the freeway, I saw a guy who was standing on the off-ramp, and he was holding a sign that said anything would help, God bless. 
And I was thinking to myself, the first thought in my head was, man, I wish that light was red so that I could stop and I could have time to actually get money out of my purse and give him some money. So I'm stopping. As, I, as, as soon as I have that thought, the light turns yellow, then it turns red. So I get off, get, get to the off-ramp of the freeway, and I'm there at the light. And so the guy, I roll my window down, and the guy says, you know, that, so I reach out and I give him money. And he says to me, thank you. And then he says, I will give this all back to you if you pray for me. I will give it all back if you pray for me. Who does that? <laughs> and so I, I said, you don't have to give it back. <laughs> And as I sat at what turned out to be the longest red light in the history of Portland, Oregon, I prayed for this man out of the window of my car and I asked him what his name was, and his name was Kurt. And so I left Kurt, and, and I've been different ever since because one of the things that the Spirit said to me is, he is closer to the kingdom than most. He said, this is the church I want. And he brought this passage to life for me, this passage in Romans 12. He also brought to life this passage where David says in Psalm 27, he says, one thing have I desired and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This man desired one thing. He asked for money. I gave him money. And then he said, I will give it all back if you can talk to God with me. And that is our New Year's invitation. That we would, in the midst of all of our goal setting and considerations and going to the gym and figuring out how we're going to save more money this year and all of the things that we've been told by by preachers and prognosticators and all these others who tell us this is the year of the whatever, whatever, whatever. The invitation is, what would you give to encounter him, to be with him? That's your New Year's invitation. And I want to unpack this passage, but first I want you to see the very first part of it where it says that I urge you to present yourselves a living sacrifice. So before we look at anything else, I want you to consider what it means to be a living sacrifice. When you think about the image of sacrifice, you saw that they would take an animal and they would kill it and they would drain it of its blood and they would take it and they would place it on the altar and it would burn, right? But a living sacrifice is different because a living sacrifice can get off the altar, a living sacrifice has to make a choice to be on the altar. A living sacrifice has options. We all have options. And yet, Paul is saying, I would like for you to make a choice 
to present your body a living sacrifice. And so when we think about the fact that we have options and we have choices, if we have options, the altar's over here, right? Think about all the things that are over here. Think about all the things that make us comfortable, all the things that make us, make us okay. Our money, our lives, our position, our status, our looks, our, our physical health. There are a million things over here on this side, and he's saying, take it all and present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Bring it all here and put it here. And it's hard sometimes to give up the things that we have, right? I mean, just even hearing the word courage as my one word focus for the year, the first thing that goes through my mind are all the things that I might have to give up, all the things that I might have to let go of, all the, thing, all the secrets that I keep that might come out and come out in public, all my stuff. But he's saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice Makes you think of Isaac and Abraham when Abraham took Isaac up and he was to sacrifice him. Isaac was not a baby when that happened. Isaac was a man when that happened. And he sat on that altar. He's like, Dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice? He's like, God's going to provide himself a sacrifice. And I am always impressed that Abraham would do that. But I am more impressed that Isaac would let him. <laughs> because let's face it, Isaac, Abraham's like a hundred and something years old. It's not like Isaac can't take him, right? <laughs> Just saying. So you're sitting here on this altar. Your father has put you in this position and you stay there. Present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. It makes me think of Jesus when it says in Philippians 2 that he who did not think it was robbery to consider himself equal with God made himself nothing, made himself low, made himself a servant, and he became obedient unto death. It's that picture. He came to this earth like Kurt because he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was sick, you came to see about me. He came as Kurt. And so then he says to us, follow me. But what he doesn't say is, I will, I will drag you. He says, follow me to the cross. Follow me to the altar. Follow me to submit yourself a living sacrifice. And that is the invitation as we walk into this new year is to follow him. In Philippians, it says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. If you ever get a chance just to read that passage, it's just beautiful, and you'll see that, the, that the, the structure of it is different than the rest of Philippians, and that's because it's this beautiful poem that Paul breaks off into. And it's just worth reading over and over and over again. But before it, it says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 12 says that you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
In other words, behavior follows learning. And the thing that connects learning to behavior is belief. It's our faith. It's our willingness to move according to what it is we're learning. Does that make sense so far? So belief is what connects learning to behavior. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little more about that later Because what I want you to consider is that what this passage tells us to do is it tells you to rethink some things, to rethink some things, to to think again about some things, to think in a new way about some things, to think in a different way about some things. And the first thing that I think we need to rethink is what is valuable to God? The passage says, present your bodies, King James says, present yourselves a living sacrifice. You matter more than your stuff to God. It's you he wants to give. There are so many people, the Pharisees were great at dropping money into the pot. They were amazing at that. But the widow with her might, it wasn't because it was just a little It was because it was a reflection of who she saw God as. She gave herself. And so when we give our Christmas gifts to one another, we give ourselves. Our children don't necessarily need to have as much stuff as we give them. But they need us. I would give back every Christmas present, birthday present, regular present I ever got as a child for a dad who was attentive, who showed up, who was there, who was with me, who loved me, who looked at me and said, I cherish you. And a lot of us, we would give up so much if a person showed up in our lives. My sister's husband just passed last week. And I thought, for the briefest moment, Instead of going to see her, I should give her the money that I was going to spend to go and see her so that she'd just have a little little extra. And right as I was about to tell her that, I said, no, I need to show up. I need to show up. So I'll see you this week, and I'm showing up this week because she needs to see me there. She needs to be able to put her hands on me. I need to be able to put my hands on her. Our person matters. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. All the other stuff follows, by the way. It's like you want to think about, like, sometimes we'll actually give money or give stuff or give things in order to separate ourselves from people. Don't we notice that? Sometimes we'll actually give money to a homeless person hoping they will go away. I've given you a couple dollars, go away, without looking in their eyes, without being present with them, without seeing them. Jesus could have given us his stuff, but he brought himself. He came. He showed up. His name is I showed up. Emmanuel means I showed up. So he's like, that's one of my names, is I showed up. 
I love the fact that his name is I showed up and God says, my name is Jealous. I want those people so bad. And Jesus said, I got that. I'll show up. And so when he says, present yourselves a living sacrifice, he's saying, I'm jealous and I want you with me. And, you, and then we say, I'll show up. I'm going to show up for you. I'm going to show up with you. And so not only do we have to rethink what's valuable, we have to rethink what it means to be holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. A lot of us think that that's a lot of pressure, right? How can I be holy? How can I be perfect? How can I be pleasing to God? The truth of the matter is, is that holy means this. It means that you are set aside for a specific use. It means you are consecrated. It means you belong to that God who says, my name is Jealous. It means you're his. So whatever it is you do, if you're a secretary, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're an Indian chief, whatever it is you are, you are his doctor, his teacher, his coach, his preacher, his singer, his. You're his. That is what it means to be holy. It means to be set aside and consecrated for a specific use. And then what it means to be pleasing or acceptable, as King James talks about, it doesn't mean you're acceptable, meaning that you're perfect or clean or everything's all right and everything's good. You're pleasing to God. And God says what pleases him is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. It's humility that pleases God. That thing in us that says we're no better or worse than we actually are. It is humility. Kurt's posture when we prayed, I prayed for him and he just, as soon as I said, I will pray for you, he did this. And he didn't move. And it's that posture that says, I know I need God. I know I need him and I can't do this by myself. So I'm going to ask a stranger who's looking out the window of her car to pray for me. That man was holy because God used him. That man was acceptable and pleasing to God. And then we have to rethink transformation and how it actually happens. As I said before, you have learning and behavior, and the thing that connects it is belief, right? In other words, transformation is not our work. Now, as a pastor who oversees formation and discipleship, I constantly wrestle with people who believe that they're the ones who actually have to change themselves. And so we spend our lives trying to white knuckle our way into the kingdom, right? Trying to be perfect, trying to be wonderful, trying to be all the things that we see in this Bible. I'm going to make myself into that. And he's like, no, that's not how it happens. It is encounter after encounter after encounter with him that changes us. That when we encounter him, that we live like we encountered him. And when we live like we encountered him, then we prove and test what is the perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That it, in King James, I love it so much better because it's like we are being transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. It was one of my favorite passages in Scripture is that one. It took me forever to actually understand what it meant. It was forever. I was just going, I don't understand this passage. And I read it over and over and over again. And finally, I put the Bible down and I said, you're going to show me what that means. I don't know when, don't know how, don't know where. But I'm not looking at that passage again until you explain this to me. And then a few months later, a butterfly came and lived in my room for three days. It just lived in there, sat on top of a picture frame of a ballerina that said Prevalence of Grace was the title of the picture. The butterfly came and it just lived in my room, flew over my head while I was going to sleep at night, which is freaky, but he did. And the crazy thing was, is right after that, I started studying this passage again and looked at where it said we're transformed, we're metamorphosed from glory to glory. Butterflies do not have any control over what they become once they enter that cocoon, right? It happens to them. And they go from crawling and eating and they've got a hole in their mouth and then they've got waste goes out the other end, that's all they are, into this amazing thing. But you can't have the butterfly without the caterpillar, right? But he's not inside that cocoon going, you know, whistle while you work, I'm making some wings and I'm gonna like, put them on my back. He has no idea. But as we contemplate the glory of God, and as we trust and believe the things that we learn about him, and we act like we saw those things, and we live our lives according to what it is we learn about him, then we prove and we test what is that perfect will of God. And so we have to think about transformation, not as something that we do, but something that God does for us. And the important thing to know and to understand about transformation is that God is redeeming who we are. He's not getting rid of who we are. We make our New Year's resolutions trying to get rid of our bad habits and trying to change and trying to be different and look different. And God's like, no, 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 no. I need that. I'm going to use that. That thing that you struggle with there, I'm going to use that thing right there. That drug problem you got, I'm going to use that. So no, 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 no. I don't want you to forget that you were a drug addict. I need you to remember that because I'm going to use that. I'm going to redeem that. Redemption at the end of the day is God just telling us, let me tell you why you went through that. Let me tell you why that happened to you in your life. Let me tell you how I'm going to use that thing. He redeems every moment of our lives and nothing is wasted. Nothing. And so transformation is what happens when God redeems every moment concerning each and every one of us. Every part. Ephesians 2 and 10 says that we are God's poetry. That we were created unto good works. And they were determined beforehand. So think about that for a second. We think we have to work our way into the kingdom? No, he already has the work there. We think we have to make ourselves into something? No, he's the author and the finisher. We think we have to work our stuff? You think we have to form ourselves? You think we have to shape ourselves? He's like, no, I'm the potter, you're the clay. 
I know what I wanted to make when I started working with you. I know what I wanted to make when I put you in that crazy family that you're in. I know what I wanted to make. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And so that neglectful father has reaped dividends for me. This man who would, who would call me stupid when I studied my work. And I said, I'll never ask anybody for help. If I didn't understand what was in chapter 10, I went back to chapter 1 if I had to, to figure it out. But that's how I study the Bible now. That's how I study this. If I don't understand something that's in Revelation, I promise you, I'll go all the way back to Genesis before. I will find out that way. He redeemed that thing. And I was able to forgive my father in that, in that, in that way that he was. Yes, he was neglectful. No, he wasn't there. Yes, he was absent. But God, God is my father. And I am a spoiled, rotten kid. I have the best dad ever. When I tell you he's amazing, I'm telling you he is amazing. And we are designed to allow God to redeem all of those things in our lives so that we can steward the attention of the other people who are in our lives and they can say, how did you get through that? Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you. That's what transformation looks like. Let me tell you about God. As my mom used to say, you don't know like I know. You don't know like I know. And that it will take whatever it costs that's what Jesus, whatever it costs to become what it is I'm called to become, I will pay it. Kurt, I will give you all of this back if you just pray for me. This is the church God wants. This is the church he wants. A church that will show up and give itself a church that will be holy and pleasing in that they know they are set aside for good works. And there are, there are times when you're in this place and you see something going on and you go, I, I could probably do that. Or you might say, I could do that better. Do it. It's there for you. It's sitting there for you. It was determined beforehand. And God is like, I got this here for you. Because we're not just here to finish the work. The work is here to finish us. When we do the work that God has given us to do, it helps to transform us into the things that God would have us become. That's the invitation. That's the church God wants. The church that shows up. The church that is humble enough to do what needs to be done. The church that will allow God to transform us, to redeem us, to redeem who we are, not reject who we are, but to redeem who we are. Our stories are designed to tell his story if we allow ourselves to be renewed in him. We are designed to tell his story. And so a lot of times what will happen when you think about the year and you're looking forward to what's going to happen in the year, it's all about you, right? But the story's not finished until it tells his story. Each of us tells a part of his story. Each of us. It says in Romans, 
uh, Romans 8, 29, it says, God, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God said, look, the thing that would make me happy, all I want for Christmas and every other day of the year is to see Jesus. Because Jesus is the fullness of who I am. And that's what the church is. That picture of Jesus. He's like, that's all I want. That's all I want. Isn't that amazing? It really is that simple. That that's all God wants. Kurt's story shows us Jesus' story. And Paul says in Corinthians that the gospel has the power of love, is the power of love to salvation. When you see the gospel in somebody's life, it is powerful. And it begins with each of us, so that it begins to be true of all of us together. That's the invitation, that each of us and all of us would be transformed this way. I look for Kurt. Every time I get off that same freeway, I look for him. And I've never seen him again. And I wonder if he wasn't one of those people that it talks about and the the writer of Hebrews talks about where he says, you know, to be hospitable to all because you may be entertaining angels unaware. And angels are those people who are messengers from God. And so he could very well have been an angel. I don't know. He could just have been a guy But when I think of him, I think of two images. The first image is is the fishes and loaves. That one encounter with that man has now become a part of all of your lives. And I'm hoping that you would leave this place and make a difference in somebody else's life because of the difference that Kurt made in my life. And so I see it multiplying over and over so that you all will touch people I will never meet, I will never see, I will never know. But if that man's humility, that man's willingness to trade everything for an encounter with God, if this could be a church like that, we would have Kurt to thank for it. And so I think of fishes and loaves, but the other thing I think about when I think about each and every one of you becoming that thing, that person, that woman, that man, that boy, that girl, that God would have you be, I think about this idea of what I see when I see that glory to glory to glory. You know, when you think about how in the, in the story Hansel and Gretel, how they drop the breadcrumbs, they drop breadcrumbs so that you know how to get home. God is God, so if he's dropping breadcrumbs, it's glory. He's dropping glory, 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 glory as a way to lead us home. And so when a man like Kirk comes along in your life, you don't take that for granted because that's glory. That leads to more glory. That leads to more glory. That leads home. So give yourself this year. That's the invitation, to give yourselves this year, to show up this year, to know that you are enough, that you are valuable as you are when you do show up, to let God do his work in you, to let him write his story in you, to let him create his poetry in you. Submit yourselves to that.
When you leave here today, ask yourself, which, which part of that invitation is mine? Which part of that invitation belongs to me? Maybe the whole thing belongs to you. And it's okay to do all of your New Year's resolutions, but my invitation to you in this new year is that you would look to encounter God, that that would be the thing. Can you encounter him this year? If you want to keep a journal, keep a journal. If you want to think about, like, what's my one-word focus this year, do that. I think, hey, it works really well for me because I get to see him every time I see it. If you want to talk to someone else, if you want to pray about it when you go to lunch today, if you want to talk about it, just, just glory to glory to glory to glory. And let's help lead each other home. Let's pray. God, there's nobody like you. Nobody as loving, nobody as wise, nobody as good, nobody as considerate, nobody as attentive, nobody as powerful, nobody as great. And yet when Moses said, whom shall I say sent me? You said, tell them I am. Because the amness of you is greater than all of those things put together when we just understand that you are. That there is never a time when you aren't. That there is never a thing that you can't. Father, we thank you that you love us. I pray over this church, over this congregation, that this would be a house full of Kurtz who would be willing to give for just an encounter with you, God. And even if we're not ready to give all, that we would give some just to see you, some of our time, some of our energy, a little less sleep, some of our attention just to encounter you. Let this be a church that is known as a place where people encounter you and then its people go out into the world so that the world can encounter you through them. In Jesus' name, amen.